Mute myself. You Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show, Designers Discussing Design. We're on episode 79, Summer Lovin', and coming to us from Paris, Dylan Kirk. Hi. It's really early here, you terrible people. <laughs> and also with me, Sen Fung Lim. Hello. How are you? I'm excellent. Uh, other than I got hand cramp. From scissoring. Oh, uh, is that what you, is that why you're waving pieces of paper in front of the screen? Yeah, I I still got I got stuff to cut, and the minute I am done the show, I empty out the dryer, pack my luggage, go to sleep, wake up, get an oil change, and drive to me to uh, <laughs> not to me. Oil, oil change part. I thought you were going to I drive to uh, what's that thing? Some something. Gathering. That's yeah. it. Oh, there's some thing. Some thing. Don't, don't tell me this stuff. What is don't it? Bang. Well, if you weren't in Paris, maybe you could come. But... Oh, that that would be awesome. She <laughs> sure tell me the day before. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could you could still come on Saturday. That that's true, but maybe we should talk about the games we've been playing. Yeah. So what are you been playing? The topic. Well, what so, what, been playing? so what have you been up to? You, you know, actually, I've started designing some other stuff, but um, lately, the entire family has been completely addicted to Dixit. Oh, uh, so beautiful. It is. It's really nice. It's it's probably one of the easiest things to get to the table nowadays. Especially wow. like, yeah, like you in France, you Paris, it's right. There's, uh, I've been uh, finding all sorts of wonderful little... Um, game stores here, of course, very close to many wonderful little coffee shops, many wonderful little bakeries, you know, all of the, all of the many wonderful little things you find in Paris. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's it's hard to not get sidetracked by the coffee shops and bakeries. But um, Well, especially yeah. with the, the pastry reviewers that you have. Yeah, there's a couple of pastry reviewers in the house, and they, they must have pastries. But, uh, yeah, the Dixit has been coming to the table an awful lot, and we just played, uh, my son and I just played Hannibal versus Carthage, which Ooh. was enjoyable, um, because, of course, he desperately wanted to, to kick my butt as Carthage, and I have no mercy. <laughs> so, um, but what about you, Sen? Um, you know, I've just been actually working on a whole bunch of games. There's, uh, uh, Jesse and I are working on a couple, um, Crushed sky, Skyline Crushers. We're not really sure what to call it. <clears throat> it's a uh, kind of a free movement miniature war game. I'll get you to try it sometime, Dylan. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, and one that's uh, dice-based, um, kind of dueling, two, two, uh, you know, one one v one type of game. Just dice-based cards, uh, picking them up, putting them down, triggering events, things like that. So, uh, Jesse, and I've been working on that, and then of course Jay and I are uh, always working on things. So. We'll be able to finally get The Godfather um, <coughs> played. Uh, well, it's already pu it's being published right now, but we have a, a full board coming to the gathering. Going to meet us at the hotel, um, which will be great. Uh, and then we were play testing powers over the gathering as well as some other things. So yeah, and then Scott and I are working on our race game, Burning Rubber. 
So I'll be showing that off at the gathering as well. The gathering, the gathering, the gathering. I mean, how many times can I say it? How about you, Daryl? What are you working on other than I'm cramping your hands? Yeah. It's going to be a drinking game. So anyone who uh, wants to get happy, just use the word gathering. <laughs> and then you know you will enjoy our show more as the show goes on. Um, but yeah, no, actually, I'm going to give a shout out for something that I was privileged and honored to be part of yesterday. And uh, we oh, got yeah, to yeah. represent uh, the Game Artisans of Canada. Uh, we were invited uh, to actually the BGN Lab, the Begin Lab, in Brantford, uh, the, where they had actually an end-of-year Game of the Year contest. Uh, so for each of the students, they had three projects where they had to design different games with different uh, kind of constraints. The top four from each of those projects were selected, so the top 12 games of the year were up uh, for decision. Uh, four GAC members, myself, Jesse Wright, uh, also Adrian Adamskew, and Mark, I would butcher his last name, so I won't try saying it. Uh, yeah, I will. Gerritz. Yeah, okay. Uh, I was semi-close. So the four of us were part of a team of judges, and also on the team were two people from uh, Lion, Lion Rampant uh, Distribution. And between the six of us, we picked a winner for each of the three different categories, so board game, card game, and then adapted game uh, from from a, a published game. And uh, not only did we see many great designs, but many that uh, I was so impressed I actually uh, invited that each of the winners come on the show sometime. So uh, hopefully maybe we'll uh, film some special thing over the summer or get them in the fall. But one way or another, we'd love to hear about their design process and, and going through the program in general and, and hear how the program is helping them as designers. So. But really just to underline the fact that Canada stole Scott Nicholson. Yeah! It's <laughs> true. Totally true. <laughs> and uh, if you're out there watching and you have a PhD or are about to get your PhD and also have links to digital video game uh, making and have contacts in the industry, Scott is looking for a uh, wingman. Basically, to, his number two. Yeah, his to little, his, his run, his, run the show with him. Yeah, it's mini me. <laughs> Uh, but let's get to the show. Uh, so today, who do we have on the show there, Daryl? Well, we have a wonderful show of two people that I think are crazy talented at what they do. They're involved in the game industry. We have Dr. Gord Hamilton, and we have Rob Lundy. Gord Hamilton actually has a game on Kickstarter that we've been waiting for a long time, but I know it's felt longer for him, Santorini, and I'm very excited that it's doing so well. And Rob Lundy, you may have recognized his art in amazing games like Harbor, Dungeon Roll, and I'm proud to say that he's also involved with fantasy, fantasy sports games. So I'm really excited about that. So also, we have an all-Canadian show going on. Yeah. This feels awesome. So, <laughs> maple, uh, maple syrup. And yeah. Yeah, egg. we got all the maple and maple syrup going on. Yeah. Trees, three related things. <laughs> so uh, why don't, uh, Dylan, you start us off uh, with Gord. Gord, what the heck is this thing about mathematicians becoming game designers? Oh, it's it's so natural. We, we, we learn to, 
to design our own universes in mathematics, and so it's very natural to design uh, board games. But it, in fact, it worked the reverse for me. I started off as a game designer long before I became a mathematician. So, yeah, reverse. And, you know, what you, I'm sure you've got a kind of Keynesia-esque approach to games. What, what, does, what does mathematics do for you? Well, wait, 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 wait. There's math in games? I've been led astray. I don't understand what's going on. Wait, nobody told me that there was going to be math. Is there going to be a test at the end of this or what? Yes, and the answer is always C. It is. So what I tell parents... What I tell parents, um, uh, like I, I go into classrooms, I advise teachers, I advise school boards, and I, I tell them, um, your number one job in elementary school is to have a, a culture of board gaming in the, in the, in the home, and that's because uh, board gaming is just a celebration of problem solving, and that's the number one thing that we're trying to get across in math classroom. It's not addition, multiplication, division. It is getting the kids to think rigorously. So that is the connection um, with uh, board games and mathematics, is it's problem-solving at its most fun and joyous level. That, that sounds like fun and joy. That sings to me. <laughs> uh, Rob? I don't, I don't know. There was still math in there. I'm, I'm feeling <laughs> a little uncomfortable right now. Yeah. So, Rob, let's, let's talk about the other aspect of, of games that you're more involved with, which is the visual, visual presentation. Of of that mathematical concept, how do you, how do you take something that might be as raw as a mathematical equation and put art to it? I mean, you worked on my game, um, which is real, which is really just when you think about it, it's really simple stuff. Um, but you kind of bring it to life, you give it art. How do you do that? How do you get that? Inspiration. Uh, <laughs> nice. I mean, there were cowboys in that game. Right. So it's all you I need to know. Like, cowboys are cool. No. Okay. So, um, to be serious about that, like, I mean, what I try to do, I actually try to do the opposite of what a lot of game designers do. I try to like take the math out of it as much as possible, right? I mean, my big thing is that when I look at something like that, um, I look at a game, and um, I try to think about what the visual representation of the math or what of the rules could possibly be, because I know that there are okay. Being a visual person myself, I know that there are visual representations of the rules in general that I can potentially try to bridge that gap between somebody who is um, who is really uh, really involved in the rules, really in depth with that kind of stuff. They, they like you know someone who grocks that like in a, in a big way. Actually, I, br I brought the word grok to my stream recently, where people were like, "What is grok?" Right? <laughs> well, I work in I work in board games. Um, you youngsters. I, I was like, look, I have the lingo. Um, but uh, but to people who like who really understand rule sets and stuff like that, they understand the math behind it. They're like they're neo for for games, right? They they see the matrix beyond just the art and the cards and stuff like that. And um and I try to think about those people who are left behind and they're like, hey, I don't get it. What? How can you show me the rules of this game with just pictures, right? I mean, that's the thing. Like, that's the unique kind of position that I play in this, where where I'm actually that person. I I live that life. That is me. 
right? And I want somebody to try to translate that in as visual a context as possible. So it's like, what can I do about that? How can I highlight those rules? If there's not a way that I can do that with just images, how can I make someone look at the words and they're like, oh, words, I hated my English teacher, but they want to look at it anyway, right? Like, you know, you do what you yeah, can. Pretty pictures well, do that. Right. I mean, and you do whatever you can. You, you, you put you put icons in there. You highlight the words. You, you make the area that people are uh, around the words more visually appealing. They draw them in. You do whatever you can to try to, like, force people to read the words. Read the words, people. They're important. They will not let you win the game. <laughs> and um, and I try to do that for people, right? Like, I mean, because I know that's that's me. That's who I am. Um, and, I, and I need an excuse to do things like read. <laughs> Talking about reading, did you know that Grok comes from the 1961 book, Strange Land? Strange Land. It really does. That's where the first cut was. So, completely is. You're right, Rob. He's not so nerdy that he knew that. He had to actually go look that up. What's that? Me? Yeah. When did you? Because no. you weren't saying it correctly. Was that why you I said at... I said Gronk on another. Gronk, that's what happened, right? Uh, but oh, I you knew, said Gronk. What's wrong with the, you? I knew the source. I just said it wrong. Ah, okay. Um, so nonetheless, turning to Gord, uh, I, I I gotta I gotta come back to Santorini. This beautiful game that I got to play a few years back. Actually, at the gathering was my first time, and I I actually came to it. Uh, my first introduction was very, very much just an abstract, simple, elegant game. But now there's this beautiful art that is bringing to life a variety of strategies and new choices for the game. And uh, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about the the origin story and then also the introduction of the cards. Oh, and Lord, you need to unmute yourself. You have to unmute. Sorry. I'm... There you go. Okay. The, the origin was was uh, 1985, 1986, um, and uh, it was I was studying cramming for math finals, and I suddenly had this inspiration for a game. And in one one hour, it was finished. the The base rules have never changed since that, um, and the gods came about uh, ten years later than that. So it was a pure strategy game on a four by four board for the first five years. Um, and I played hundreds of games uh, for that first year. Um, then it went to a 5x5 five five game, and then the gods got added. Uh, the, the whiteboard, I'm, I'm an abstract game player, and I loved an all-white board. Like, um, it, it hurt me whenever I, I, first of all, experienced that we were going to go down a, a much more rich uh, color palette uh, for Santorini. But now I'm just I, I, I'm excited to see the new gods coming out. The, the art behind them is so exciting for me. So uh, although I'm an abstractor at heart, uh, there's a part of me now that's that's uh, that's changed. Um, the icons uh, uh, that is is a really interesting subgenre of art. I, I don't know, uh, Rob, what, what what if you call that art, but it's. It's beautiful to see instructions encapsulated in icons that you know are going to save people time and are also going to be language independent. That is that's beautiful. I never thought of doing that, so I'm I that's a huge plus. Um, really to is. only have that on the cards rather it, than um, 
it's an amazing thing, and not everyone can do it. I mean, and and that's a really big deal. Um, I I'm one of those people that while I and I just answered this question while I enjoy. Let me just move my my camera a little bit because it's set up for my live stream. Um, while I do enjoy illustrating more than I do graphic design because that's kind of the place that I'm at um, in my heart. Like I like to do illustration. I like to create characters, craft worlds. That's what I like. Um, graphic design that teaches people the rules, or even better, reteaches people the rules when they play is a incredible deal to me. And one of the games that I love playing and I think is a excellent um, example of that is like something like Dungeon Lords where the they have a board where you lay it all out that's your 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 year board, I believe, right? The graphic design will reiterate to you what you've already read in the rules and what you've taught people in the past and you as you go through you may not have played that game in months but you lay it out and you start like putting all the pieces down and you go and you look at the board and you go oh yeah that's what that means that is the mark of genius uh, graphic design right the type of thing where you look at it and it instantly reiterates the rules that you read once before and the rules that you played through during a game, and that's the type of thing that can't be quantified. That's the type of thing that, like, you can't... There's no way to list that on the box, say, the the board reteaches you the rules every time you play. You can't do that. But people who have played that game, people who have experienced that, will remember that, and they will, they will appreciate that. Because it makes teaching that game to new players, which is, I mean, let's be honest, that's the joy of playing a lot of games, is teaching it to a new player and seeing their eyes as they realize, oh my god, I just figured out a win engine, right? For games like that. Like, that is that is a, a true joy of those games. And graphic design is the only thing that can truly do that. Like, great graphic design can do that. Illustration can't do that. So that's the type of thing that I reach for every time that I do... I do a game is I, I is like I I know I can illustrate that's great I'm not trying to be a jerk about it but I know I can illustrate but graphic design that's a whole nother a whole nother principle of art in itself and and beyond just the visual aspect but also the mental aspect it is it's a great thing and there are few designers who can do it to that level um, and when you get to work with a designer like that. That's a blessing, both as an artist working with a graphic designer on the side, you don't have to do it, or as a game designer working with that graphic designer. It's a pleasure when you get those experiences. I'm going to jump in here and say, do you think our audience has noticed by now that we've totally got the whole left brain, right brain thing, approaching a creative topic uh, from two different... Do you, I'm going to have to stop that? you there as the, uh, you know, the psychology prof and say that that actually is not a thing. Shh, don't say that. I was trying to, you know, make it look like we planned this. <laughs> no, um, left brain, right brain is not a thing. It's just, I'm, anyway. <laughs> okay, I wanted to, so I'm going to jump in there and, and just talk to Rob about what what is your uh, your background? I'm going to grab some questions from my dear Suze, who's uh, who's talking on the chat in the, uh, in the YouTube page. 
What's your educational background? Are you are you classically trained? Did you did you self learn? You you some high school um, art school grad? I learned my uh, I earned my PhD in psychology. No, I didn't do any of that. Okay, um, my, my background is bizarre. All right, um, my <laughs> background is is actually it's actually really strange for. In my opinion, someone getting into um, the the kind of business of um, of working on board games, but I was actually an animator for about I guess at the time that I entered into the board game industry, it was about seven years or so, um, and that taught me a lot. You know, seven years of professional work and about two years of college. On top of that, there was some overlap there, um, and. Um, and for me, like, I had learned a lot about basics of art and stuff, and I was really interested in a lot of stuff that, uh, on the side that I taught myself. However, um, I was always really interested in board games. I really enjoyed them. I, I liked basic... I liked basic... Um, board games such as like, I'm saying basic because they're like they're old. I, I, please don't 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 take this the wrong way, but like basic board games like Monopoly and Sorry and stuff like that. But I also like the, like a lot of the kind of newer newer age of board games that we had. I played a lot of Settlers. Settlers was a gateway game for my ex-wife and stuff, and um, you know brought a lot of my friends into that. Um, uh, we had stuff like. Um, uh, Shadows over Camelot and things, trader games. We, we played a ton of uh, of uh, what's the what's the game? Um, I can't think of it right now. It's a trader game. It's set in the future potentially. Uh, like the resistance. Battle, Battle resistance. Star. Thank you, resistance. Right. We bought Battlestar and we couldn't figure out someone to explain us some of the rules about like you know bringing in Cylon ships. Anyway, we're not going to get into that. But um. Um, but I, we were interested in a lot of those games, and I was interested in the interaction of games. I was interested in the production of games. I was interested in a lot of the aspects of it, not just the gaming itself and like you know the kind of the win engines and the kind of like you know grokking the rules and stuff. I was always also interested in like the way people interacted with the various components of a game, right? Like it fascinated me. But like this game is really interesting because you're placing pieces of wood on the board, or this game is really interesting because you keep part of your hand aside, or this game is really interesting because like. Like, you know, you're trying to, like, you're trying to grab a chunk of the board depending on what kind of cards you have in your hand, right? Like, I was interested in a lot of that stuff. And so when I got the opportunity to do some art on a game, I literally jumped on it and, like, choked it out because that's what you do, right? Um, and, and I did that, uh, and this was actually something with Jay, right? Like, my first opportunity... I'm going to tell the story right now, okay? Because it's... Yay, it's a good story. It's a great story. It, it is a good story. It's my origin story. It's my superhero origin story. Um, but uh, when I was working... I was working on a failing... a failing webcomic at the time in my spare time, and I knew it would be failing because I just wanted to start on something, anything, Right? I was working out at the time, and uh, Jay, who is a longtime uh, collaborator with Sen, right? Um, Jay at the time was looking for someone to illustrate a comic book as a, um, as like I, I guess like a promotional material for Belfour. Kinda, um, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of the idea, right? Because Belfour was was great. I mean, and okay. I mean, give my my uh, my honest um, opinion of Belfort. I think it's fantastic. Belfort is actually my top 
Battlefront is easily my top five games. I really enjoy it because there's a lot you can do. That's what I love about a game is like when there's a lot of ways to win, there's a lot of ways to proceed through a game, and uh, I mean the or the art is gorgeous and like like there, there's just so many options, right? And I love Belfort for that. Um, and I played like you know he told me, hey, I've got this game that I developed and uh, I really want to do this promotional comic. And uh, and he actually asked his cousin to do it first, and his cousin was kind of busy. We'll go with busy. <laughs> yeah, we'll say busy. We'll we'll say busy. And and he was talking about it. And I was like, I'll do that. What? Get him in touch with me. And so Jay got in touch with me, and I started working on this with him. And um and I and I did a, a bunch of work on the comic, and Jay liked it, and he was like, Hey. Uh, this is great stuff. You mind if I so show this to my publisher? Uh, maybe you can get some board game art out of it. And I was like, that sounds amazing. I'm actually a fan of board games. That would be awesome. And um, so we did. And uh, the person he showed it to was Michael Mindis at TMG. And um, since then, I've actually realized that Michael is... Um, Michael, without being like weird about it, Michael's kind of a champion of young artists and independent games and stuff. Like, he loves that stuff. I don't know if it ever comes across in the way that he does business, really. Um, maybe a little bit on the development side of things, but, like, Mike really likes developing games and taking them from, like, a base level and making them better. And he was interested in this because I, I, I honestly think he was interested in this because I hadn't done games before. And he approached me about it, and he gave me the opportunity to work on some stuff with him. And he said, hey, I'm going to do like a little small thing with you. We'll see how it goes. And we did that. It did okay. And then I worked on Dungeon Roll. It was my very first ever project working with TMG. And Dungeon Roll was a ridiculous success. And it kind of rocketed me into doing this full time. And... Um, and I really appreciate that, and I, and I love Michael for giving me the opportunity and stuff. But, um, yeah, it was purely by chance that I got into it. And um, and I've, I've got an opportunity to work on a lot of different things since. It's it's a kind of a really, really weird way to get into something kind of by chance. And, and it ended up being to the point where, like, I was getting enough work that I could say, i got to make this choice. Do I go full-time with this, or do I abandon it completely? Because that was my choice at the time, was you know like it's so much work now that I have to I actually have to do this for my job or give it up, and I had to to make that choice, and now I don't remember what the question was. What? <laughs> kind of how you got into it, I think. Right. And I'll, I'll just uh, fill in a couple of the blanks there. Um, so Jay was writing. Jay wants to write comics, and I do too. Um, and so this was kind of his uh, ash canning phase where he was trying to get publishers, comic book publishers interested in his writing, and so he, he hired Rob to do some piece work on the art for a Belfort-related comic. It wasn't intended to be a promotional comic, but it ended up kind of being one, which was interesting anyway. Um, so it's kind of cool. It's a really neat... I, uh, I don't know how we managed to do this. Um, Jay and I have actually got a whole bunch of artists' work in the industry that were not involved in the industry originally because of connections through other art things that we do, comics, graphic design, whatever. And so, you know, it, it's part of just being out there um, for the artists. I mean, being willing to take on little projects. 
And I'm not saying don't do it for money because, you know, we, you know, Jay paid Rob to do the art and then we can't undervalue uh, anybody's skill. We don't ask people to do things for free. We want our friends who are great artists, great graphic designers to get work in the industry. So, you know, don't, don't sell yourself short if you're an artist or an illustrator, graphic designer, any type of artist that wants to get into board games. Um, actually charge for it. I think it's a very important thing. Okay, so moving from art back to Gord. Back to Gord. Sorry, Gord. Uh, Gord. Uh, first of all, I would say that uh, I am an artist. I use a different palette um, <laughs> Very nice. from the cr traditional artists, but uh, in no way am I a top mathematician, uh, but I, I use little nuggets of um, ideas to form a, mechani um, a mechanism in my game. So um, I absolutely consider myself uh, an artist, both in my puzzle design and math pickle, and with this new Roxley game, Santorini. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree with that, though. I mean, like, um, like you know, don't don't take away from that. That that's one thing that I actually want to take it take some time to reiterate is that, like, you know, the people who craft the games, you can make a beautiful game. It it can be beautiful, but if it doesn't function, if it doesn't, if it doesn't have interest in it as far as the mechanics go, that game will will fail. Like a hundred percent, that game will fail, um, and that is a thing that people don't understand because mechanics mechanics work I, and I would love for you to talk about this if you, if you can kind of figure out how to do it but like mechanics are great but if you can't figure out how to, a way to make them interesting make them appealing make them engaging that game still sucks that's a thing right <laughs> like you know if if your game can't do that for somebody then i mean one the players won't like it, and they won't continue to play it. And two, the artist will have nothing to go on. You need to have something to go on. A great artist is only great if the underlying concepts for them are inspiring. Yeah. Gord, can you speak to that, actually? Because that, that leads in perfectly. I think, that, I think that Mozart addressed that in that uh, he believed in only composing for the top people in his audience. For me, the great part of, of designing is not what anybody else says. It is what I feel myself. At the end of the day, if I've created a design that I'm happy with, and the rest of the world, I don't really care. <laughs> like, Santorini is my most popular game now, but another game that I've designed um, has only probably been played by less than 50 people. I still consider it an absolute gem. Um, so <laughs> uh, I, I, think, um, I think Van Gogh uh, probably followed a similar... Um, path. Uh, he only sold one painting, right, in his life, Rob? <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yeah, so um, I, I am not motivated by market success uh, whatsoever. Absolutely. I, lo I, I love interacting with your designs, Gord, and I love your passion for making games the best they can be. That's one of the reasons why I love you playtesting my games, because you can't stop but uh, share ways for the game to be better. It just oozes out of you, and you love uh, shaping others. Um, I also notice, you know, another motivation that I, I've learned from getting to know Rob is how amazing uh, his viewers are. Uh, and I just would like to touch a little bit about your Twitch channel. If you could tell us a little bit 
about the amazing community that you have of viewers and what happens, you know, what do you do on your Twitch feed, what kind of questions come up, and how do you interact with uh, your supporters? Yeah, I mean, Twitch has been a... Twitch has been a really strange thing for me. Um, but wonderful. Um, Twitch was something that I started engaging with um, kind of on a whim. I used to watch a lot of... Okay, backing it up. Being an artist, being both a professional artist and working on professional things in my spare time, I don't have a lot of time for recreation. Um... And what that led to was me watching a lot of YouTube videos about gaming. I would watch some game videos while it was working, and it gave me that kind of vicarious um, thrill of playing games through a Twitch stream and also through someone who was entertaining. Um, and they would be entertaining enough for me to feel like it was my friend playing the game and I could interact and what happened was I discovered that not only were people doing this stuff on YouTube, but they were doing it on Twitch, Twitch TV. Uh, some of you may recognize Twitch TV as Justin TV, which was what it, its original iteration um, before it was more uh, targeted and more kind of refined in its viewer base. And um, what happened was they decided to... Uh, Justin TV was so open and so available to people that people were kind of streaming a lot of stuff like pay-per-view stuff and everything. It was just a mess. And a small section of Justin TV started saying, hey, the gaming community is really into this, and they targeted that. They created Twitch TV. And Twitch was incredibly successful. Uh, it was all gaming stuff. It was The rules were set. They said, you must be doing gaming content. You must be doing that. And um, it worked very well. And got and garnered a huge follower, follower, uh, followership. Sorry. Um, and um, but ever since, and I actually found this out from talking to one of the Twitch employees, Bill, who uh, was always a huge fan of the creative stuff. Uh, when I went down to San Francisco and was able to have sushi with him, which was an amazing experience because I love sushi. Sushi's amazing. Anyway, um, but um, he was talking to me about how. He went through this process of he always loved the creative side of things and he fought from it for fought for it for from day one day one of Twitch TV. We need to have creative, and he finally was able to do that. But they weren't ready for it, so they kind of put it into a beta test for about a year or so, where a bunch of creative streamers were streaming on there and garnering some viewership and stuff. And then they officially launched it with an awesome bunch of uh, things with like um, the replay of. Um, of, um, what's it, um, Bob Ross on, on Twitch TV. Every Monday you can find uh, replays of Bob Ross's um, um, kind of painting show and stuff. It's amazing stuff. And they launched it completely, and my viewership skyrocketed. A bunch of people who enjoyed watching creation of art were on there, and um, they're actually really engaged people. The interesting thing about it was, was not only was I getting people who were interested in art, but also people who were interested in gaming in general, because that's the Twitch TV audience. They love gaming. They play games. They watch games. They're interested in um, aspects of gaming that are like, um, you know, what we kind of think of 
in board gaming is win engines, right? They're interested in seeing builds, character builds and stuff that, that work with synergies. They want to see the kind of stuff that that showcases, you know, one ability working with another in order to, like, you know, gain a win. And um, those same people found a place in my channel where they were suggesting stuff to me, like, hey... Why wouldn't this work or this work? And I would, I would have, I'd have to tell them, oh, guys, I'm just an artist. I'm just doing the artist side of things. But you know, so much of the stuff like was was in there. A lot of my publishers and developers would end up hanging out my channel and like be watching this stuff because so much interesting stuff was 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 being sent across on the, on the Twitch channel. They would say, hey, there's this and this. This seems unbalanced, or this doesn't work, or this. And I'm not trying to say. And because this is the thing with Twitch, okay, guys, you know, I love you and I love every piece of feedback because it's amazing. Not everything is going to make it into a game. It's just the way it is, right? I mean, and anyone who has partaken in a Kickstarter or anything like that, they're also going to feel this, right? Like, you know, make suggestions. Please do, right? I mean, like, don't, don't not make suggestions. Not everything is going to make it into the game. But every so often, people would suggest something and it would make the developer sit back and go, wow. That's a thing. That's actually something we hadn't th thought about, right? And this is the kind of thing that beta testers in video games provide for for their game developers. It's the same audience. These people love the same things. They love mechanics. They love they love interactions between things, right? And so, like, it's it's a perfect. It is literally a perfect place for an artist to d develop work or for a game developer to develop work because they have the people who are really interested in this stuff giving opinions. It's been kind of out of this world. People who love art and they love game development, game, um, game interaction and stuff, it, it, it's the kind of thing that I think more developers, more artists, more game designers need to take part in because these are the people and we've been missing out on them. They just didn't know that they were interested in board games. I'm going to try to segue off once we perhaps say hello to the the bearded people who has just joined, joined our oh channel. Oh my god, it's Beard. Hello. And what a surprise, my lower third doesn't work. I hate you, Google Chrome. You also have something in your do beard. That, do this. Yeah. And your mic's also loud. Oh, I don't know where my headphones are. Uh, dude, dude, your other left. Your other left. I don't know. <laughs> but I was going to ask a question to uh, to our dear Gord, uh, but I, I wanted to kind of twig off the uh, the digital um, questions that we that had been asked in the channel a little while back, and and perhaps put a few of them together. Um, First off, someone asked about uh, the most recent uh, Google AI a victory in Go, which is my personal favorite uh, abstract board game. Uh, yeah. But also... Lee, Lee, Lee Seedal, uh, I think he won just one of the games, the fourth game. Yeah, yeah. it was and only that, one. And, uh, that, that was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, and Go would definitely be one of my favorite games too, definitely an inspiration. A type of game that I would have been proud to invent <laughs> absolutely oh, yeah. 4,000 years ago. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, missed that opportunity. Um, so uh, um, which, which uh, board games remain that uh, pure strategy games that could possibly beat a computer? 
uh, I don't think there's very many. I don't think Santorini falls in that class, um, although the programmers, I think, would be challenged uh, by the rate at which new gods can be created. Um, maybe that would be challenging enough for a computer to um, to look to, to encode that and and, uh, and look far ahead. But I doubt it. I, I think Santorini will be beaten. I think um, if I had to choose one of my games, I would say Calculus would be the only one that would have a, a possibility of beating of a human beating a computer, and that's because it's um, played on a board without any grid lines, so that perception becomes a part of the game. So you have to push a black piece into... Uh, it, it's a continuous game. So uh, a millimeter this way is, is different from a millimeter that way. Uh, so I don't know if you call that a pure strategy game anymore. That seems to be a combination of pure strategy and uh, perception. So I, I don't know what your thoughts are. If there's any game out there, a pure strategy game, that a computer uh, will not win now. No, I, I kind of wanted to, to jump off that and just ask, what do, you, what do you think about digital board games or board games that, that incorporate digital elements? That was another question from the audience. Um, I, I haven't tried it because I, there's too much digital in my life, so I like to just have a purist, let me sit down with a pure hopsy beer and my little board game and just focus on that, and as simple as possible, that is, uh, that's a joyous experience for me. Those are the good things in life. Yes. Uh, and may I congratulate you on, during the show, gaining $5,000 for Santorini in your Kickstarter. 5000 yeah. Just in the space that we've been speaking here. We like to call that the meeple syrup, though. I'm going to put in an official vote for malty beers as opposed to hopsy beers. I'm with you, buddy. I'm going malty over hops. No, 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 no. no we can get rid of those two people. <laughs> um, Rob, we got some other questions for you in terms of art and things like that. Um, so, oh, one second, where'd it go? There's a question here from somebody. I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. How do I, how do I tend my beard in such a way? Well, <laughs> yeah, keep keep going. Right, on the question. Variety of of brawn beard trimmers and brawn shavers of, uh, <laughs> applied in various lengths and various. I'm I'm sorry for you. Come on, I think. <laughs> I know, I know. I just, okay, here we I go. One, so Armada Games uh, in Florida, I actually don't know their names, but I just call them Armada, Armada Games all the time. In fact, I call them Amanda Games sometimes. <laughs> uh, how often do you see beautiful or complex art detract from the game itself? And can a game be ruined by mismatched art and theme? What's your opinion yes. as an artist? Okay, so can it be ruined by mismatched art and theme? 100%. It really can. Um, I actually think that it is the illustrator's job to not do that. And um, this is a weird, weird thing because as an illustrator, I know what it's like to get a contract and then discover you're not right for it. Oh, interesting. Can you tell us a little um, bit about that? It's a weird thing. It's only happened to me once. 
uh, I was offered a contract that I could have really used at the time. And being being an artist, um, when you get a contract, you are loathed to not take it because art is few and far between sometimes. And um, I was offered art and to do art for a game. And I straight up had to tell them, no. Well, not, no, excuse me, not no. I had to tell them, this person would be better for that art. And um, I think this actually stems to a a more fundamental issue for a lot of artists, okay? Um, there is nothing wrong with providing a colleague of yours some art when you can't do the best job for it. There really isn't. In the same way, there's no problem with sharing details of how you do your art with other people in order for them to get better. There's no problem with that. And um, I've done it in the past where I said, I'm not best for this art, but I know an artist who would be great for it. And I'm, gonna, I'm speaking directly to you artists out there, okay? This is very important. I know there's not a ton of you out there, but if there's one or two of you, then this will matter, okay? If a contract comes across, across your desk where you are not fit for it, you're not prepared for it, you know someone who is, Tell that publisher, tell that client about this artist, okay? Because it will do multiple things for you. One, the artist who takes that contract, if it's under your recommendation, will remember that they may do the, th the same thing for you. And that matters more than you can even imagine. The second thing is, and you may not understand this, but the publisher will appreciate your honesty with them because the same amount of times that you've been offered art that you can't do from a publisher, that same publisher will have, or maybe a different publisher, will have offered art to somebody and gotten terrible, terrible is the wrong word, unfitting art for their game. Yeah, inappropriate. That's a good Inappropriate yeah. art, unfitting art for their game, non-thematic, whatever, from an artist, and that game has gone, pardon my French, to crap. Because your art didn't fit it. And I'm going to tell you this right now as an artist, and this is a terrible thing to hear, but that's your fault. You know when you can't do art for a game. You know it. And if you can't do it and you don't tell them, that's on you. Pass yeah, art Mayfair. <coughs> Mayfair, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I mean... Yeah, what? What's that? I don't... What? Are you okay? Do you need a, do you need a hoppy beer? I don't. Okay. Um, Ain't nobody but, needs that crap. Ain't nobody needs. <laughs> um, but you know, like, it's not just you that's going to suffer. The publisher will suffer too. And if you don't pass that off to somebody who you know who can do it, just if you know somebody who can do it, everyone suffers. So um, you know, do it. That generosity will reflect on you at some point. I believe it, and I've experienced it. So oh, I think it does. Yeah, I mean, don't don't shy away from that. If you can't do it, know your weaknesses. If you're weak at a thing, don't try to take it on when you know somebody else is good at it. That is pride. 
right? Let someone else do it. I guarantee it's not going to hurt you in the long run. Right. Good points. Very good points. Tyler, you had a question for Mr. Hamilton, or sorry, Dr. Hamilton. <laughs> yes, I have a question for you, Gord. Um, seeing as I uh, now work afternoons and miss three quarters of the show, I would like you to take two minutes and talk about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Um, That's my question. <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh, educational more games. More importantly, things that maybe I uh, have missed in the first three quarters, if you <laughs> wanted to interject on something How so far. you stop interjecting and let the man talk? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Get at it. Okay. Um, I'm interjecting. Sorry. Um, okay. Well, here's one thing that I, I'd like to discuss. Um, two types of um, game designers. Uh, I am a minimalist. I love destroying rules that are just excess baggage. Um, that is one type of game designer. Another type of game designer are those that build up beautiful layers after layer after layer of intricate um, substance that really works well together. Um, th that is what's really rewarding about uh, being part of the Game Artisans of Canada. Um, is to come together and for me to rip down and for other people to build up and it's just it's a very nice dynamic so that's that's something I wanted to say definitely thank um, you very much I'm not sure who is next uh, Daryl you play up next right sure well I'll go for sure I mean uh, I I'm curious uh, actually and this is just uh, my my own personal curiosity but Rob what are some games that you would love to work on. What are what are some things that you know you've worked on this or that, but now you're you know you'd love to get an opportunity to work with so and so or teams or designers or publishers, you know a certain publisher, yeah, you name it. Um, give us give us your like dream list. Um, that's a weird thing. I mean, I understand where you're coming from for that, but it. it it's actually something I've been thinking about recently because I've been actually looking at extending my oh, my coverage as far as games that I might be considered for. But the reality of, of it is that there are... Okay, let's not mix words about this. Places like Fantasy Flight Games obviously place a large um, a large importance on their illustration. You see illustration uh, from their games and you're like, damn, that stuff is like detailed, right? And as an artist, I look at it and go, that guy bought a Ferrari after this game, right? Like, but um, you look at some smaller games and you think to yourself, wow, that smaller game really has some great art. That person, like, was really lucky to work with them. And uh, uh, I'm not going to lie, I worked with a company recently, Nevermore Games, who um, they straight up gave me artistic freedom on a game. And that is unheard of in the game industry. They... Uh, I worked on the, I worked on this game with them, Dark Dealings, and um, Brian was basically saying, you know what? 
I trust you with this art because I talked about about the art with him for a long time. And he just said, I trust you. Do what you need to do. And I think I got maybe three revisions from Brian because it just this is an art that just didn't work, not right for the card. And uh, he just let me do his thing. That stuff does not happen. Um, and the only time it ever might happen is with small publishers because they have the ability to say, yeah, you know what? We trust this guy. Just do it. That stuff just does not happen. It just doesn't. And um, you work with someone like a, like a big publisher like Fantasy Flight. And now here's the thing. I mean, speaking... Speaking for a person who has not worked for Fantasy Flight, I can only assume now, having worked for large companies in other fields, I can just assume that they, they say they have very, very strict guidelines as to what they do, right? I mean, they have a huge client base. Well, not client base. Sorry, a a um, a, um, a a base of uh, of people who they want to please. I'm sure they, they, they think very carefully about the kind of stuff they do, and they must have rounds and rounds and rounds of revision in order to please that, that base of consumers. Yeah, Beth, Beth Sobel on the stream has worked with FFG, and she's saying um, they usually ask for three to five edits per piece. Yeah, and that and that can be really that can be really hard per piece. Like I like you know being a small time illustrator, I. I expect three to five edits on three to five pieces, right? Uh, beyond that, I would have to severely adjust the way that I bill for things. And, um, you know, three to five edits per, per piece, that's going to that's gonna change the way I do art. So uh, working smaller companies versus larger companies, larger companies... And this is my experience with animation too. Larger companies will foot the bill, but you are creating their artistic vision. And a oh yeah, what company? Yeah, a small company who who is trusting you to create an artistic vision for their game. You're not looking as many iterations of design. However, you might be more satisfied with it. Yeah. Just uh, to fill people in who are watching the stream that aren't looking at the chat, Beth just said that uh, usually with companies like FFG, they are farming their work out to multiple artists. So you're getting three to five edits per piece, but you're only allowed to do like three to five pieces in general. So and there's you know there's smaller pieces like cards and things like that. So it's not necessarily as difficult as doing the whole game. Like Rob typically does the art for the whole game start to finish. So it's a little bit different with the bigger company. But, I mean, that, that bleeds over into IP and things like that, where if you're dealing with an IP, you're going to get edits. And you're going to get edits on the rules, you're going to get edits on text on the back of the box, and art, all that stuff. Um, so, Dylan, let's, let's go to you and see. We're almost at time for the last couple questions, right? I'm here to bring the hammer down, sir. The time hammer? Awesome. Yes. Oh, hammers! Right, and my question will go to Gord, and this is the classic meeple syrup finishing question. Now, Gord, in your position as a long-time game designer, what is the advice you would give to someone who is just starting out on how to put together their game from your particular experience 
and now you're the mentor? Um, absolutely, I would start with um, honing your skills at designing cards for an existing game. That's how I started. I started with Cosmic Encounters. I designed probably a hundred cards in the mid-1970s um, without, without thinking about designing my own game. Um, so that, that is the way to start. Right now, um, um, Matt Tolman was just uh, talking to me the other day, and he, he was suggesting that uh, you, you use uh, Dominion, uh, design cards for Dominion. That's how you get started. You have the infrastructure already there. You get creative with thinking about mechanisms through an existing game design. And we're going to pass it over to Tyler here to be our guest last question. Alrighty, folks. This is it. Coming to you live. Uh, Rob, from your experience, uh, what advice uh, would you give to designers so artists catch the vision of the game? Uh, so, they're, you know, they're both seeing eye to eye. And in that regards as well, because maybe it is presentation uh, regarding prototypes. All right. Um... I guess that's a twofold question. Uh, one, as far as prototypes go, um, a lot of prototypes can. Okay, so I can only speak to myself as uh, as far as this goes. But giving an artist a more um, comprehensive prototype is actually a good thing. Um, a lot of artists who look at a prototype, who um, uh, okay, the very first thing an artist roll it back. Um, the very first thing an, an artist looks at when they look at a prototype is they think to themselves, is there a way to make the placement of icons or art more efficient? Um, and having a very comprehensive prototype actually helps that because they may go through a lot of options and decide to themselves, no, this is actually really good, which is an experience I have with, Dun uh, with uh, Dark Dealings, was that I looked at a bunch of options and thought, wow, what they did is actually really good. So putting together a very concise um, and comprehensive prototype is a good thing. So if you if you want to spend the time doing that, it's not wasted time because a graphic designer will not just straight out ignore it. If it's the most efficient way to do it, they may just straight use it. And you know what? That takes a lot of stress off of them. Second thing is. Um, don't shy away from things like a um, that you might think might be a cliche or might uh, or you might think maybe overdone. Okay, present those things to an artist and allow their creativity to flow from that. You take a thing that may be, have been done in mainstream media and you give it to an artist and they will instinctively, they won't just reproduce the thing that has been done in mainstream media, they understand what they want, what you want, okay? Don't think that an artist is too inexperienced or uh, or whatever to alter a design. If you present them with a, and I'm very serious about this to all designers, if you present them with uh, an item or uh, a thing that is mainstream, they will take that and expound on it. That's their job. Their creativity is there to take something that may be simple and make it more interesting. So 
don't underestimate their creativity. If you just want a thing done a certain, you know, in a certain theme, give it to them and let them work. Excellent advice there. Uh, I can even just uh, think of even today an example watching Rob do his work while I was cutting prototypes, and I loved it. He was working on a cave troll, and all of a sudden he says, well, and obviously cave trolls don't see well because they're in caves very often. So he then started to adapt this cave troll. It kind of had like this bat look to it, and I was like, oh, this is so cool. And it, you know, it was just through his creative process of just thinking through what is a cave troll, how does it function, you know, and, yeah, I loved it. So, I mean, please trust talented artists to breathe life and beauty into the game that you already care about, and it makes the whole game better. That's why we bring collaboration together, and we work together, and we try to make our games better, and we play test, and we listen to each other, and right. through that whole process, hopefully this show is even helping that process of making games better. So we just want to say thank you to both Rob and to Gord for being here as guests, sharing your experiences, sharing your wisdom. We really appreciate it. Uh, also, i got to give a shout-out for my man Dylan waking up crazy early in Paris. Thank you so much. Yeah, Paris! Um, and Tyler for being willing, even after work, to to bring his bearded meeple self over here. We really appreciate it. I uh, just wanted to say, say thanks for having me on the show the last uh, four or five months, guys. It's been appreciated, and you know, we'll see what happens uh, post-summer. Dude, give me beard tips, please. Beard tip, um, beard tip. Maybe there'll be some summer beard tips. You and just like you like, like Play-Doh. Just we'll we'll try we'll try to get some Dylan and Tyler beard tips over the summer. And just for anyone who isn't aware, we are taking a a, a break over the summer. We're gonna have some sporadic videos that will pop up where Sen or I or or both of us or Tyler or maybe even Dylan might show up at Gen Con. Who knows? Um, We'll have try to pop up some videos, but also our goal is over the summer to kind of improve, recharge, create, and get things really happening in the fall. We're going to try to get our act together on Twitch. We're going to try to get the website going. I know Sen's really passionate about getting some content on the website. Um, so if you have article ideas or, or things like that. And, uh, yeah, just keep shouting out our ideas, helping us out. Uh, we really appreciate it. I'm going to Gen Con too, but... And Rob's going there, so you can find me and Rob hanging out, and hopefully Dylan won't leave us stranded. You can you can come give me a hug. You can you or, can hug Rob lots, or like a dollar. He he likes sushi, so a dollar. For I don't sushi. know if Indy's really known That's, for sushi, but uh, yeah, it's probably more like like a cold hot dog. But I will eat that too. But he'll he'll I'm take your artist. free food. So with that said, I just want to say thank you. We're going to have a, a, a quick after show, uh, but please uh, keep keep letting us know your ideas, your suggestions, what guests you want to hear from, all that kind of fun stuff. We, uh, we really appreciate uh, you as our supporters, and uh, we want to encourage you to keep making great games. We look forward to playing your game soon. Have a good night.